Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. This week's episode, entitled Giuliani, takes us to Midtown Manhattan. There, my creation of a public art project for the main branch of the New York Public Library on Fifth Avenue gets me entangled with the infamous Rudy Giuliani and leads me into a foul, dark swamp of his making. Giuliani There's a never-ending stream of terrible stories about Rudy Giuliani, which has become a torrent as of late. Some criminal, like the Ukraine scandal, some crazy, like his drunken speeches and dripping hair dye, and some just downright creepy, like the film footage from Borat, where we see Giuliani entering the bedroom of a hotel suite to share a scotch with what he thinks is an underage girl. Here's the story of my connection with America's mayor, back when he was in office. My tale begins when the Grand Central Partnership, a midtown Manhattan business improvement district under the leadership of Dan Biederman, recruited me to help create Library Walk, a literary walkway of illustrated bronze plaques set in the sidewalks across Fifth Avenue from New York City's Central Swarsman Library at 41st Street, with its famous lions out front named Patience and Fortitude by Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia. In concept, the walk was to have almost 100 illustrated bronze relief quotations about world literature set in the sidewalks along 41st Street. All the text and illustrations would be oriented so that to read them, the visitor must face the library, being led from one to the next toward the front door of the building across Fifth Avenue. Here are a few of my favorite schematic designs. Muriel Rukeyser's quote, the universe is made of stories, not atoms, to be illustrated with molecular diagrams containing small open books instead of atoms. Jose Martí's quote, the knowledge of different literatures frees us from the tyranny of a few, to be illustrated with the spines of many different books, including those by Vietnamese General Jop, Emily Post, Gandhi, Langston Hughes, Emily Dickinson, and many others. And lastly, Wallace Stevens's quote, I don't know which to prefer, the beauty of inflections or the beauty of innuendos, the blackbird whistling or just after, to be illustrated with blackbird tracks. Library Walk was to be part of Biederman's larger vision called Library Way, a street teeming with different types of bookstores, booksellers' street carts, outdoor literary cafes, and even the Library Hotel. He wanted the street to be reminiscent of the section of the left bank in Paris, across from Notre Dame along the Seine. Sadly, Biederman's concept didn't align with the cultural history of that time, especially the way things were going in the book world. Barnes and Nobles and Amazon were completely changing the way books were marketed and sold, and ultimately, Library Way never quite got off the ground. The street signs were changed, the library hotel did open, and my literary walk was set in the paving. But that's about as far as the restoration 
rebranding project progressed. Before that time, when Library Way was first conceived of, I came up with a bunch of concept drawings for different paving inserts, and the planned project received an Excellence in Design Award from New York City's Arts Commission. This award was presented by Mayor Giuliani to the different members of Biederman's team, including the artist, myself. We all stood for the photographers on a raised dais, shoulder to shoulder, in a reception hall in ornate City Hall. I stood between the mayor and Biederman. The crazy thing about that moment was that for one of the photographer's shots, Giuliani put his arm around me in much the same way that everybody does today, posing for a group selfie. Only then he started tapping me with his hand on my back, at which point I whispered, what? And he whispered back, nothing. And I said, why are you tapping me? And he said, I'm not tapping you, while all the time continuing to tap me. At that point, the Twilight Zone theme started to sound in my head. Now that he's become infamous in so many ways, when I tell this story, I finish up with, the guy was totally batshit crazy, even back then. And I always get a laugh. I'm not exactly sure how the antipathy between the mayor and Biederman began. Giuliani was famously vindictive and petty. I've heard a number of stories about both these aspects of his character. For example, someone in government told me he'd had a long-running feud with a city councilman from Queens. And to stick it to his adversary, Giuliani tried to get his social services department to move a halfway house for mentally ill criminal offenders from Manhattan, where they'd been living for years, to a building next door to the offending councilman's home in Queens. He wanted to move 150 handicapped souls, lock, stock, and barrel, out of their group home just to stick it to one of his political foes. Giuliani also hired Boston's police chief, William Bratton, to head the New York City Police Department. Bratton created some very effective, but equally unconstitutional and racist policies to bring down New York City's crime rate. Racial profiling, no warrant stop and frisks, tracking released criminals to be arbitrarily rearrested, and lots of plain old-school police brutality. Giuliani was happy to take credit for the city's declining crime rate, despite the fact that the city's robust economy, along with Bratton's questionable police policies, were really the cause. Not long after the chief of police appeared on the cover of Time magazine, Giuliani fired Bratton and replaced him with Bernard Carrick, who ended up pleading guilty to eight federal felony charges and was sentenced to four years in federal prison, only to be fully pardoned by the then-President Trump. Regarding the bad blood between the mayor and Biederman, I've heard many different stories. Some thought it was financial. The mayor then received an annual salary from the city of $258,750. Biederman, as director of three different business improvement districts, including the Grand Central Partnership, received three different director's salaries, which made his combined income far exceed that of the mayor. Biederman was also a very bright guy who didn't suffer fools easily, i.e. the mayor. After Library Way received its design award, and during the two years it took me to complete the bronzes for the projects, Giuliani successfully used all his power, even getting the governor involved, to have Biederman removed as head of the Grand Central Partnership. Then things took a turn for the surreal. Once I'd finished up all 96 bronze panels and delivered them to the Grand Central Partnership, they were inspected and placed in storage. Weeks went by, then months, and finally years, and still, the project I'd worked on for two years fabricating 
was going nowhere. I couldn't get a straight answer from anyone about when the installation would happen. The explanation I heard tell was that the mayor didn't want them installed because the project would garner a good deal of press for Biederman and be a feather in his cap. The worst part of the story for me was personal and financial. The total price I'd agreed to for the project didn't even cover my fabrication costs, but I took on the commission nonetheless, knowing full well that a big project in the middle of Manhattan would lead to many other projects around the country. This wouldn't be the case, of course, if the project was never completed. Two years of my blood, sweat, and tears would be down the drain, ending with my being saddled with a mountain of debt. Time passed, and I still couldn't find out what was going on with my project. Then in 2001, I learned that the pieces were already being set in the ground. I wasn't notified nor invited to participate in the installation or provide any advice, even though I had completed numerous similar inset bronze projects and the city had not. Also interestingly enough, the city's Department of Transportation required a skid test on the bronze panels in the project. The test would involve taking one of the bronze pieces to a lab where they would try running various materials over the face of the piece to see if it would cause a trip hazard. This process would destroy the piece. The work they chose to sacrifice was a lovely, almost nude, seated female form seen from behind, which represented the Greek poet Sappho, an early and much celebrated lesbian. She lived from 630 BC to 570 BC, and during that time she was considered the female equivalent of Homer. Her quote on the bronze relief read, although only breath, words which I command are immortal. One wonders why they chose to sacrifice the only nude and the only lesbian of almost a hundred bronze panels. Also, early on in the project, I'd convinced a shapely female friend to pose nude for me as Sappho. She was thrilled that a reproduction of her lovely backside would sit forever in the streets of Manhattan. But when she looked unsuccessfully for the Sappho bronze, After the project was completed, she felt betrayed, and needless to say, I had some explaining to do. Well before their unveiling of Library Walk, I discovered that not only was I not invited, but they also used some of my copyrighted photographs without my permission, and there was no mention of me in some of the promotional materials for the project. My angry call to their lawyer about copyright infringement did the trick. I was then invited. The lawyer turned out to be a good attorney and a very decent guy. Giuliani did not attend the unveiling event. A new study out shows there may be gross underreporting of opioid-related deaths, meaning the opioid crisis may be far worse than initially thought. Let's take a look. Once out of office, the mayor started Giuliani and Partners a political consulting and crisis management firm. Giuliani Partners' stated mission was that they were, quote-unquote, dedicated to helping leaders solve critical strategic issues, accelerate growth, and enhance the reputation and brand of their organizations in the context of strongly held values. One of his early crisis management clients was Purdue Pharma, the manufacturer of OxyContin, the company that was started by the truly evil Sackler family. If you read the New Yorker article, Empire of Pain, about their involvement in the opioid crisis and follow the news ever since, you'll discover that America's mayor failed dismally. I'm not sure exactly when they let him go. 
COVID-related deaths over the 17-year span of the study. The opioid epidemic today progressed in three phases. This episode could be considered the start of his truly breathtaking fall from grace. Starting with his early and vociferous support of Trump, to the press conference where his sideburns leaked black dye down both sides of his face, to the Barat video, to another press conference he presided over where he stood next door to a porno store promoting Trump's big lie that Biden stole the election. Most recently came the news that during the election, he masterminded the effort to recruit fake electoral delegates and electoral documents from seven states. There's just no end to the bad news about Rudy. If you walk down Library Walk, there's one plaque by the French artist Georges Braque that reads, Truth exists. Only falsehood has to be invented. A perfect epitaph for America's mayor. The Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kokoma, who also composed this week's music and made our theme song. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen, and it would be great if you could leave a review. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more info at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you didn't like this one, the next one will be another story. Mm-hmm.